0: so uh so jarring when it says this meeting is being recorded it's like all like robotic they couldn't have you are
1: being watched that's what it sounds like
0: you're being watched why can't why can't it be like a nicer voice i don't know i
1: I don't know i have that same issue with the alexa you know because you have to speak to alexa in such a stern tone of voice (laughs) i don't really care for that i don't really care for that you know cadence of communication it's not for me yeah
0: yeah how you been (laughs)
1: Great, I'm great. Oh my gosh, so busy. I always say that um overcommitment is the is the curse of the overachiever, you know? Like I can do everything, but um I can the truth is I can only do almost everything. So then I end up getting super backlogged and swamped. Yeah. Yeah. But all good things, all good things. I've been doing a ton of content. Right. Um, you know, new blogs, new YouTube videos are coming out, ton of podcasting with, with you and your awesome, awesome work. I'm so excited for that all to be, uh, you know, coming forward. Um, and I know you're waiting on me for some of that, which again, you know, example, over, over commitment. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, all good things. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm editing a ton of uh, collaborations, one being the one that we're doing the green tech podcast. Actually, I had my wife do the introduction for it for each episode. I think you're going to like it. I think it's really cool. People listen to it. I think they're going to be inspired.
1: That's Uh, exactly what I'm what I'm hoping for. I think that um, it's so easy to become paralyzed by all that's out there, you know, like we are really are exposed to so many, you know, social and environmental and economic and political issues all the time. It's really easy, I think, to feel like, Any move is a wrong move, you know, just like kind of like analysis paralysis. Um, So I'm really hoping that just by having this conversation and encouraging people to think about these issues and engage with these issues that they're really going to discover a degree of empowerment right that you can do this. Um, You know, you can do something good for the environment, you can be an activist. Um, You know, you can be an environmentalist um, just by being aware and communicating and, um, you know, engaging with other people on these issues.
0: What do you make of people who don't believe that there's anything actually happening in the environment?
1: Sincerely blows my mind. Um, I, one of the most recent blog articles that I published um, was uh, top 10 climate deniers in American leadership, right? Um, there are dozens, dozens of climate deniers across boardrooms and Congress. Um, you know, there's, I've, I've seen research that, that points to upwards of 100 people that are in the top of our political and economic systems that continue to deny climate change. And it blows my mind, particularly because that is not a reflection of the general consensus. The fact of the matter is most people see these things happening. Like if you're in California, you're seeing the wildfires. Like if you're in the Midwest or anywhere in the West, like you're experiencing the drought and the warm weather and the heat waves. Like if you're anywhere in the Southeast or the Northeast, like you're experiencing those severe storms. Like it's really, um, you know, if if you're in fracking country like you're seeing the water quality go down and you're seeing, you know, like all these these groundwater and you're experiencing the earthquakes and stuff and so it's so odd to me because it's more common among people at the top of our leadership that you get these deniers Um, and I think more so it's like it's not necessarily that they don't believe that it's true it's more so that you know what um, perspective colors reality and who is uh, lining your pockets and when where your money comes from often impacts your perspective. Um, You know, and so I think that there's a there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, You know, that's kind of the truth of the matter is, um, you know, by by downplaying uh, economic or by downplaying environmental issues. Because you have an economic interest in it, you are perpetuating misinformation. Um, that really, I think, you know, everyone else kind of has a responsibility to push back against, right? I mean, you know, take pictures of, of stuff yeah. that's happening, share it on social media, talk to your friends and neighbors about it. It's it's all important. It's all relevant.
0: So what's the uh, what's the economic incentive? That you're that um, maybe people aren't aware of. What's the incentive that is coloring the perspective to not be all gung ho about climate change? You know.
1: Sure. So the sources of climate change are everywhere, but they are kind of consolidated into three main categories. There is the our energy. Infrastructure, you know, where we get our electricity um, and you know fuels for home heating and, and things like that. Uh, our transportation infrastructure, which is all of our the fuel for our cars and you know kind of what makes our our vehicles run and all of our shipping logistics and stuff like that. Um, and then there's just kind of consumers and households and industrial activity. Each of these three groups are responsible for approximately one third of the emissions of the greenhouse gases, right? So one third comes from energy, one third comes from transportation, one third comes from everyone else. So because automakers are such a big presence in the transportation space and fossil fuel companies are such a big presence in the energy space, they are able to kind of, the things that they do impact our climate a lot more than anything that you or I might do, right? So um, essentially it's an issue of, they wanna continue business as usual because change is expensive. If all of a sudden you have to shift to accommodate stricter emission standards, you're going to have to update your engineering specifications. You're gonna have to redesign some things in your vehicles. You're gonna have to change things around that uh, in in a manner that is gonna be costly and expensive. And you know, it's, it's less, expensive it's cheaper um, to just kind of continue um, with with business as usual right not not adapt and not change so even though we are all contributing in a tiny 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 way to climate change just because you know we're driving around in our cars and we're you know using our energy and, and all this it's really the people that are at the very top of the fossil fuel industry at the very top of the transportation industry, Um, that kind of have a vested interest in making sure that nothing changes.
0: No, that makes sense. What do you make of the uh, increase in electric cars? You know, I just recently saw that, maybe I'm wrong GM is looking by 2035 to have all electric cars, no gas cars for that. I mean, it seems like a step in the right direction.
1: Totally. And so this is also kind of, you know, building on, your last question and you know, kind of like the, the observation of business as usual and, and adapting to change. So there has been uh, a great deal of political uncertainty over the past couple of administrations, right? Um, you know, the 2016 election, I think was a surprise to many people and um, the sudden policy changes that we saw as a result, particularly with respect to, you know, the environment and emission standards and things like that Um, really kind of took the industry by surprise. Um, And so, as a result, um, there has been kind of a a, a little bit of uncertainty in what to do to respond to that. And so, what a lot of automakers have chosen to do is instead of Uh, leaning into the Trump era expansion of, uh, you know, sort of economic interests over environmental policy, and kind of the the responding to the limitations in, in environmental laws and policies during the Trump administration by doing more polluting, they just kind of saw the writing on the wall that this is not going to be able to continue. And so a lot of these electric vehicles were started in order to comply with, Obama era policies. Um, You know, there was an update in the emission standards that required fleet wide average fuel efficiency to ratchet up substantially um, over the the next years and and decades to the point where each automaker was required to meet a minimum. mile per gallon on average, if you took the average mile per gallon of every single vehicle they offer in their fleet, right? So that way, they could still build big SUVs, big diesel vehicles, you know, things that, you know, do consume a lot of fuels. But if they also offer a completely electric vehicle, that throws a zero mile per gallon into the average. And so that's a way that they're able to comply with uh, you know, these Obama-era standards. Uh, and essentially, instead of abandoning these programs, uh, when there was a shift in which is actually kind of what happened, there's an there's a interesting documentary made, gosh, decades ago at this point um, called Who Killed the Electric Car? Um, and It was a little bit about, you know, there, there is some early innovation in electric vehicles a year, decades ago, not right when you and I were, were kiddos. Um, And they were essentially snatched off the market, um, you know, for all sorts of sort of like political and economic reasons, not because of technological um, limitations. And so essentially, uh, these political and economic uh, incentives returned under the Obama era, the electric vehicle programs, you know, started up again, they became very popular. People like green stuff, people respond to sustainability, I think people generally want to do good by the planet. Um, you know, so uh, I think that it's something that people will opt into, uh, you know, as consumers, you know, so they're popular, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for the suppliers to, or, you know, the, the, the auto suppliers to continue to make electric vehicles just to to compete, um, you know, to be able to compete with the likes of Tesla and Honda and Toyota. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that we're going to continue to see a lot of, of innovation in that space. But with that said, um, everything cuts both ways and uh there are kind of accumulating issues with respect to battery technology especially uh e-waste and sort of the the mining processes that are necessary to create um you know like kind of these like complex machines that rely on you know rare earth minerals like beryllium and, and platinum and palladium and gold and and stuff like that so um you know, it really just goes to show that there is no, uh, there's no silver bullet, right? You know, this is really a conversation that's worth having because there's a lot of discussion to be had. Um, you know, electric vehicles uh, are not always the answer for everyone. I will tell you that I did purchase a vehicle last year and I did not opt for an electric vehicle. I got uh, a diesel. I got an eco diesel. Um, because I, you know, needed to be able to tow stuff. I needed to be able to, you know, I, for all sorts of reasons, I couldn't, you know, purchase an electric vehicle, but I was still able to get something that, um, you know, was like efficient, more efficient and still, you know, got me from, from point A to point B.
0: So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm thinking about electric vehicles. I don't know. It just came to mind. I have a Tesla. I bought one like a year and a half ago and I love it. I like literally, it's like the best thing ever. Well, everybody
1: loves the Tessie man. We all love the Tessie. We all want to be whipping around the Tessie. It's It's true. It's (laughs) literally the
0: best. I like, it's crazy amazing. And, uh, (laughs) you know, that is zero emissions and stuff. It's incredible. I wonder, but it's, what's interesting is, um, you kind of meet this resistance sometimes because then you have people who like, they're very much into, um, resisting electric cars or, and being very pro gasoline cars. Now, and so this is kind of a larger conversation for a bigger topic of kind of disinformation or lack of knowledge about green technology. So if it's not somebody, let's say, who's in the government and they may know that climate change is real and know these and they're just their their pockets are getting lines so they're just willfully denying it. But what about just the average citizen who is like, "I don't believe in this stuff, How do you get them through the kind of the disinformation about? climate change or electric vehicles, things of that nature?
1: Sure. Well, I will say that that person is more rare than you would think. Uh, you know, according to the most re- like, you know, generalized research, upwards of 90% of the American public believe in climate change, you know, man-made climate change to some degree. Um, the fact that you know, the climate denier is still a popular myth is, is largely the perpetuation of misinformation that comes from the top. Um, it's, it's a very odd thing and, you know, there's a lot of incentives, um, you know, economic and political incentives for, for um, these people to perpetuate the misinformation. Um, but in terms of, you know, the impact that, you know, these lies and propaganda have on the average person, um, it really can only be, I think, effectively countered by grassroots advocacy. Um, You know, because it's easier to believe the things that your friends and neighbors tell you and show you and you see with your own eyes in your own hometown than whatever is coming from the top. Um, You know, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, we are all impacted by, you know, the, the ideas and the perspectives and the things that we see and, you know, come across on media and some voices are louder than others. Um, but you know, I really do want to encourage people to engage with their community when it comes to environmental issues. Just talk to people about what's going on, even if it's litter or hey, what's that stuff that's always you know being that's coming off of the storm drains? Like what's you know coming out of the what's that stuff that they're they're putting in the pond behind the mine, right? You know, just ask, just be curious, take pictures, share on your on your social, um, you know, and and engage because. Uh, there is, unfortunately, not a lot of trust to be had in the people that are at the top of our systems that are really meant to be kind of protecting our natural resources like that.
0: Yeah, actually, I, I think it's a good point because a lot of the kind of progressive things like uh, electric vehicles or you know ideas related to drug use and more, whatever, generally those things get on ballots by people. In different states that say, hey, I think this should be changed. And that if you're waiting for the government to become more aligned with the ideas behind this, you're probably going to be waiting for a really long time like a really, really long time. It's just like a sludge factory of yeah. movement, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, And the United States has actually pretty good environmental laws relative to what you get on the global scale. Um, We have a system of environmental laws that, you know, specifically protect our air, our water, our underground resources, our, you know, our soil, you know, from from waste and and toxic contamination and things like that. But um, all of these national environmental laws were passed in a single decade. They were all passed during the 1970s, during the decade of the 1970s. And they were passed in response to a counterculture that rose up surrounding these issues, right? You know, when they were seeing Litter and pollution as a result of, you know, our booming post-war economy for the first time, um, they said they saw something and they said something and that did eventually elicit a reaction um, from the top, because ultimately, as much as, you know, politicians and people, you know, in the boardrooms are beholden to cash money. Um, you know, the people that we have elected to lead us are there because we put them there, uh, you know, and I think that it really is an important process of empowerment to demand that they be accountable, um, you know, especially to the physical and environmental harm that is being done to all of us all the time because pollution is going on in a way that, you know, really prioritizes corporate interests, profits, you know, all sorts of you, top-down activities over, um, you know, our our health and safety.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you say that there's so many laws related to That's interesting. Where is the majority of, let's say, the pollution or the damage from our environment coming from on a global scale? Is there certain parts of the world where that is more prevalent, less laws? Take me through that a little bit
1: oh yeah so there are some villains in the story of, of, of climate change there are certainly um, some organizations and some entities that are more responsible for things like the Pacific garbage patch uh, you know than than others um, you know, to name names, right, you know, to un- un- unapologetically, sorry, not sorry, name names, uh, Coca-Cola is up there for plastic pollution, right, you wander around any place that is littered, you look hard enough, you will find a product that it was made by Coca-Cola, uh, Dixie Cup is up there too, right, you know, these are just kind of like, you know, plain Jane consumer product companies that, up, uh, you know, they, they just have no concern with, with end of life for their, for their packaging, right, it just goes wherever it goes. Um, and then it becomes our problem. Um, climate change and hazardous pollution, it is actually, um, it's good old Uncle Sam. It's, it's actually the government itself, uh, predominantly through military action, um, the Department of Defense and, and national security related activities are largely exempt from the parameters and, and impositions required by the environmental laws that apply to other government activities and uh, private activities so um, believe it or not the the government itself is actually doing a lot of the polluting that it's responsible um, for, for protecting us from um, and then otherwise like I said you know the fossil fuel companies are, are up there as well um, you know anyone who's just in a in a in a hazardous industry that, that involves hazardous substances, you know, like, um, crude oil refineries, you know, chemical, chemical plants, things like that.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. That's pretty surprising actually. But, um, I wanted to also make this kind of this episode a little bit about as we transition here, just about what we're working on together to kind of a preview for this is this be decent green tech podcast series. It's coming through, um, you know, my podcast, give a little preview of what you're talking about and what people can expect.
1: Sure, so uh, Be Decent is all about environmental empowerment in the age of activism 2.0. I really want people to know that when they snap a picture and write a caption and share it on their social media or through whatever digital communication they use, Um, that's important and that is helpful. You are creating not only advocacy for important environmental issues that are affecting you and your community and sharing that information with your friends and your followers, the people that are affected the most. Um, Even if you only have a a dozen, right? They're most likely your neighbors and your family members and the people that are also impacted by these things that you're observing in your community. Um, But also that it's, it's environmental data that uh, is very, very helpful for people that are way, way, way up there in the tech industry, innovators, groundbreakers, disruptors that are using advanced technologies, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, Uh, the Internet of Things, right, which is this very cool little shorthand that we use to refer to all of the smart digital devices that we have that are growing into this, like, increasingly distributed network of of tiny, tiny, tiny computers everywhere. Um, And so, yeah, while all of us are just being more engaged and being decent, right, you know, with the, 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 the devices that we have at our disposal, whether that's A smartwatch or a smartphone or a smart home device or whatever we happen to interact with, you know, just be engaging with that from an environmental mindset. And, you know, knowing that what you do um, does have an impact positively on your local environment. Um, But also, hey, there's some really, really, really cool things happening in green tech. Um, I'm talking like, Oh my gosh! Um, e-waste reactors that can take your Tesla once it's at the end of life, and instead of making it, you know, scrap that's dangerous and you know polluting. Seventy uh, percent of our e-waste is exported, right? So we basically just dump it on developing countries. Mm-hmm. It's tragic. Um, instead of doing that, they can actually now put it into a reactor. It's an IoT device that you know, Internet of Things device that's you know uses AI and uses like all this like kind of like advanced engineering and computing, uh, and they can recover 100% of the gold, the platinum, the rare minerals in those e-waste bits, um, and safely disposing of all of the hazardous substances, right? In a in, the, in a little in a little gadget, isn't that, isn't that cool? That's
0: isn't amazing. That so cool? Yeah. That's actually amazing. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's it's actually been really neat on my end to receive the um, audio from Samantha and just listen to it and listen to her speak and her passion and desire to want to get this information out. And then running kind of the post-production and putting some music and some really powerful speeches. We had talked about this. I found a bunch of great speeches that are going to be leading off each episode. And I think these speeches are going to be extremely powerful when you hear them the first one i'm really excited about it's like the intro um for the whole series i was telling samantha the other day i finished it it's all done the first one and i think people are going to love the introduction which is um i'm going to keep it a surprise it's really cool but it's going to like make a lot of sense and then just the the second intro and then music going into Samantha doing her thing. It's going to be very inspiring. And I think you have an opportunity over seven weeks to learn a crazy amount of information about green technology and solutions to our environmental issues. Not just talking about A lot of people talk about it, but it don't provide solutions, tangibles. This is going to be about solutions. So, um, I'm excited for everybody to check it out, and Samantha is very gracious to be part of this project. I appreciate working with you on this.
1: Likewise, Dr. D, I have been having a blast. I really love talking with you, and I love having the opportunity to share um, all of the things that I have had the wonderful occasion to learn myself, because I am kind of constantly blowing people's minds with these little mm-hmm. gadgets and these little green tech tidbits and I think that it's a little bit uh, unfortunate that so many of our conversations about environmental activism and advocacy are such downers right It yeah. <laughs> yeah. kind of depressing um, because climate change, And, you know, e-waste and plastic pollution, these seem like unsolvable problems. They seem like they're too big. It seems like we have just gotten too much, it's gone too far. Um, But the truth of the matter is we can solve these problems. We live in an age where digitization and virtualization and digital devices do magic. And um, I just really want to share all about that because, uh, you know, I really can't help but be an eternal optimist. It's, it, it can be obnoxious at times, but I can't help it. And being an optimist and being an environmentalist at the same time can be like a little bit of a tough road to hoe, right? So this is me. <laughs> <laughs> Achieving that, right? Showing people that, hey, you know what? Um, we've got some big problems. The, you know, the, the planet is facing some real serious, serious, serious challenges. And unfortunately, we really cannot trust our leadership to do something about it. Um, it's not the end of the story because we can help each other. Right. Um, even if it's nothing more than, like I said, sharing on social media or talking about it, or, you know, having the conversation or just engaging, um, you know, taking pictures, using apps, using your Fitbit to, you know, specifically improve efficiency of your energy use or your water use or all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be, you know, a sacrifice. We don't have to just live with the impacts of climate change and pollution, we can use the decentralized technology, the decent tech, right? Um, at our disposal to, you know, be decent.
0: Wonderful. I'm excited to put this out. February 15th, I believe is the first episode to be coming out on all major podcast platforms. So we're going to share it all over the place. And hopefully it's a, it's a tool for learning Um, And it's also entertaining and inspirational. So Samantha, thank you so much for being on.
1: Yes. Thank you, Dr. D. It is my pleasure. As always, it's lovely speaking with you at any occasion I leap at it. And um, I am also so excited about our collaboration. I think it's going to be amazing.
0: It's definitely (laughs) going to be amazing. I've been working on, I'm just like, man, this is going to be so cool. I'm really (laughs) like into this, but thanks for being on and we'll be in touch.
1: Yes, sure thing.
0: All right. Take
1: care, Dr. D. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please
0: make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.